Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Emigrating from England with her family at the age of 13 cemented adventure into what was to come for the life of today's guest, Lindsay Rogers. Lindsay is the co-founder and managing director of creative agency, Cello, and I dare you to say that name without a smile on your face. At the age of 25, Lindsay left her dream career to go forth and build the company that she could never have dreamed of. Cello works with small and large organisations, fast-growing startups and government departments to create and build brands of tomorrow. In 2015, Lindsay won the Telstra Young Business Women of the Year Award for New South Wales and in 2017 was recognised in Forbes 30 Under 30 in Media and Marketing. Absolutely fascinated by the way that we communicate, the way that we share and the way we influence, Lindsay shares what has surprised her about being in business how she continues to navigate her role as a leader in a growing team. And she also shares very openly some of the tips on how she looks after her own health and her mental health, particularly in a busy world and in these moments where we can all feel a little overwhelmed. Down to earth and someone that you'll definitely want to share a coffee with, please soak up the warmth that absolutely exudes from Lindsay Rogers. Lindsay, it is fantastic to have you in the studio. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, there's there's quite a few things I want to jump into with you. You're a managing director of your own business called Cello, which is short for a cheeky hello, which is a fantastic <laughs> brand name. <laughs> and I'll get to asking the question of where that came from. Now, I understand the impetus to start your own business came because you were working for another company and had been well, going towards the pathway of, of acquiring a portion of that company, or at least being a part part owner and that didn't come off. And then there was, I guess, this opportunity to go, well, what do I do now? Can you remember and even describe for us that moment of thinking about what if I went out on my own or what if I started a business? Mm, people often say to me, you know, do you think you always had this want to start your own business? And I think for me it grew. I don't think there was a day where I woke up and thought, now's the day. It was kind of the small bits all became the big the big piece. Um, but yeah, I was in this buyout with my old boss. So I'd worked in the company for five years and had grown it, diversified it, rebranded it, moved offices, hired new people. Um, and it was a really good business. And so I had a business, um, a business advisory company and come in and value the business and put forward a proposal to him. And he was on board. Everything verbally was all good and happy days. Um, put it forward and uh, 48 hours later, he came back and by his lawyers and said, actually, you know, I've changed my mind. I don't want to sell anymore, which um, was a really devastating time for me. I was uh, just turned 25. I had poured five years of my um, sort of early career into this business. And, um, you know, I I'd put all my eggs in the one basket. That was going to be my future. I wanted to buy in 51%. I'd sort of um, grow it. I had a plan. Um, and I think 
it was a really humbling time because it was kind of stopped dead in my tracks and what am I going to do here? And I'd always sort of toyed, my, my parents had said to me over the years, like, would you ever start your own business instead of buying someone else's? Um, but it was that moment then I sort of had to decide whether or not I would do it. And um, so I called up a couple of, of clients that I worked with at the time who had become friends and said to them, oh, I don't know, I'm thinking about, do I go and get a job? Do I start my own thing? And and they said, well, you'd be silly not to. You've got not very much to lose at 25. And um, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I, my, I called up Tris, who's my business partner and our creative director. And um, we went for a beer that night and I sort of said, what do you reckon? I think there's a gap for an agency somewhere between uh, a really small boutique, you know, few person company and um, the large agencies. Uh, and I think content's changing. I think brands are looking at through the line rather than just TV or just a digital offering. Uh, and I think it's a great opportunity for us. So we launched three weeks later. Well, there you go. <laughs> Obviously, that's when things things start to align. I mean, it's it's so interesting, and as you say, investing five years of your life into what what was going to be the pathway forward. Mm. By the sounds of it, it's that fifty one percent acquisition, was that always the the plan throughout mm. those five years? Mm. It was the plan. So my boss, he wanted to retire and I was at the start of my career. So it was sort of quite a complimentary, you know, he he had a great out and I had a great in. Um, and I think while I was in that mindset for me, you know, I was inheriting the frameworks, processes and people to start, you know, the business from uh, the next day. And I think it's in hindsight, best thing that could have ever happened. And I'm not sure if I would have had the courage to go out on my own, probably not if I was going right down to the path of wanting to purchase what I already knew. And I think that's human nature to go, well, this is what I know. I know it works. It's proven as opposed to the high risk, you know, high reward, but high risk um, alternative. And so um, it all happened pretty quickly. They got someone new on board and I left, went to India, which is um, uh, cello in Hindi means um, cello, like let's get moving, let's get let's get going. And I heard the word and thought, I really like the immediacy, but it's a still a, it's an approachable word. Um, and then someone said, oh, it's like a cheeky hello, which is so the way we run our business. Like, let's have a chat, let's see, let's, you know, let's explore rather than it being a formal process. Even the way you say it, the way you enunciate it, you can't help but just smile yeah. <laughs> through it. And that, I love that, that sense of that meaning of let's get going, let's mm. get into it. Mm. And it sort of brings the two together, the cheeky, uh, fun, cheerful, but we never wanted to be seen as therefore flippant, airy and, and non, non, not delivering on time. And so it sort of bridges the gap where we're approachable, but we you know, absolutely keep our word. And one of our, one of our values is say what you mean and mean what you say, that we deliver on everything that we promise. So it sounds like some of that work in those five years thinking about where you might take that business and, and as you were going down that path, you're almost laying the groundwork anyway mm. for a business, whether mm. it was that one or whether it was a new one, mm. uh, as opposed to kind of coming in and starting mm. fresh, which I think a lot of people, when they think about when they start a business, you're really starting from that framework. Tell me from the beer two, three weeks later, mm. what happened throughout that that time and were there any kind of doubts or what am I doing going mm. through your, your mind? 100%, 100%. I think, you know, the five years I was there with the previous employer was the most phenomenal foundational um, time for me. And, you know, being able to run an, a general manager of a business at, at 25, I mean, absolutely, there was personal responsibility and I pushed myself to step up. But the opportunity he gave me to grow and learn and, and also all of the failure, you know, I remember when times got tough or when, um, you know, people moved on from roles, being able to iron out my um, my communication style and, and you know, my um, approach to business during those years, I think it, it undoubtedly allowed us to um, to grow quite fast when, we, when I launched um, Cello. 
So the three weeks um, following, there was sort of a bit of a blur. I went off to India to kind of eat, pray, love, find myself. My business partner went to... In three weeks or less. (laughs) No time like the present. Tris, he went off to um, the Philippines for a wedding where he he was with a bunch of friends. So we started chatting about a name and, you know, looking on all the handles and IP Australia, like can we actually trademark this thing? And we had 500 plus names. Each day we'd send through more and we're actually going to be called... um, Ali and Ixox, which are the names of my two imaginary friends when I was a kid. Um, but the more we got into Ixox and how to spell it and I-X-O-X and people not being able to pronounce it, we, it would just seemed a bit tricky. Um, but we went round and round. We had all sorts of names. And... Um, we settled on cello. We managed to get all of the um, all of the like, domain and all of the handles, and um, we launched our own site, which was helpful. That was what we do. So we sort of um, did a, our own branding and own creative. But I mean, yeah, I don't think we really had the time to sit and think about is this a, is this a terrifying expedition? Um, I was twenty five. Tris was a couple of years older. We put in ten grand each, which was kind of all we could do, not knowing when we would next get paid. Um, and a lot of that went to a shareholders agreement, which. I I was adamant about getting from the start to make sure that someone said to me and an advisor said, um, the easiest place to negotiate is when you have nothing. Um, So get everything on the table now. Where do you stand? Who owns what? How does it work? Um, So we spent a few grand on that and then we spent IP Australia and a few basic kind of getting the business off the ground. But then it starts to eat into it and then you're kind of down to, you know, close to 10. And um, so, yeah, we sort of just bootstrapped everything. We'd start to rent initial equipment rather than buy just to kind of get some cash flow in. And um, we hit the ground running just, we had contact that we knew and we had this website up for July 1, um, which I was adamant about. I wrote the copy, Tris wrote, did all the creative and we're sitting in my lounge room till late and we just kind of said, let's give it a go. If it doesn't work after 12 months, then um, we'll go our separate ways and, and no love lost. And that certainly wasn't the case, was no. it? 12 months later, no. you kind of had proof in other directions. Yeah, we finished our first year. We turned over, I think, about a million bucks and allowed us to um, hire a couple of people and sort of reinvest into, um, we moved into an office co-share space, into a bit bigger one. And um, it's so funny, you know, you, the bar continues to, to move because for us at the time, we're like four desks, like how are we going to employ two whole people? You know, this is crazy. And then we moved into a place with, um, I think it was six desks and then we moved in, we fitted out our own place at about the end of the first year with 18 desks. And we're like, this feels massive. Like I should cooey to the other end of the room. Um, and now we've just moved again to double that. So it's funny the um, you know, the bar that you kind of, what you think is a stretch or then really quickly becomes the norm. Which then becomes a lesson for the next, mm. the next stretch, as you say, that turns up. Just going back a little bit and, uh, was was work in that kind of creative agency field always on your radar? Was there ever any other options that were up for grabs for you? Mm. I mean, I started talking, you know, way before a lot of kids when I was a baby, a small child. My mum used to say, like, there's no way she's not going into communications in some form or another. <laughs> um, I kind of went down the advertising route, more sort of communications advertising strategy, and Tris went more down the visual arts route. So it's a really nice pairing. Um I love the creative industry. I love the subjectivity, but I I always struggled with the um, airiness or the or the um, or the lack of rigor um, that sort of a producer or a project manager or a business mind would bring to the table. Um, and that's what I love is the intersection of the two. Um, and I guess now managing a creative agency, I get to I get to. S- I get to input high level, you know, across the creative, but the people we have on our team are phenomenal at the creative work. And so I think for me, it was a recognition that 
just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. And for me, it was, I graduated as a junior art director and although I could pick up the tools, I'm not, I'm good, I'm not great, you know, I, I, I'm, and now I'm very rusty. Um, but acknowledging like where, for me, where my skills um, are best used, which is at the front end of the business in the commercial sense. But I love the creative industry and I think it's, you know, it's inspiring to see all the work that our team, um, that our team continually push the boundaries on and come back and you're like, where did that come from? Didn't even think that you would join those two dots. And uh, there's something really humbling and uh, and also really inspiring about starting to hire people that are way better than you can ever be in, in whatever field it is, whatever area it is, that you can then start to learn and grow. And, and again, that realisation that in business, you know, in fact, I mean, you're never good at everything anyway, but the most powerful way to, mm. to get ahead is start to hire those that are better. <laughs> I know. Some, um, some great advice that somebody gave me once, which was to hire the best person that you can afford. And um, each time we've hired someone, we've sort of taken a look in the mirror and is this the best person or is this kind of like a it'll do and and we've learned the hard way a couple of times about hiring it'll do or kind of best of you know a bad bunch but unless I gut feel is kind of all in um I think uh, it's just proven not to be the best for us unless we back ourselves so um yeah, sometimes you have to wear the scars of that along the way <laughs> to learn those lessons. There can be times where uh, our upbringing and our life can actually start to inform our personality or some of the traits that we kind of bring into the world of work uh, and also life later later on. You mentioned before that you immigrated from uh, England at the age of 13. How has some of that experience informed who you are today? Mm, it's funny to reflect on because I think your, your life is the only life you know um, and you kind of take, you know, you forget and sometimes other people haven't had the same experiences as you. But, yeah, we emigrated from from the UK. We came out for the Sydney Olympics in 2000 just on a holiday, my family and I, and um, we loved it and we loved the lifestyle and um, we loved Australia. So we went back to the UK unbeknownst to us kids and my parents said to each other, what about it? You know, how about we look at moving to Australia? Do you think that was on their radar beforehand? Or it was, no, no, no. They sort of said and until they, they'd always said they wanted to do an Olympics and they'd always wanted to come to Australia. So when they found out it was Sydney Olympics, they sort of saved for the eight years before. Um, and when we came out, we did a big three-month trip when they took us out of school for a while and it was a phenomenal experience. We travelled all across Australia Um and I think we were, they were walking down Shelley Beach uh, while we went for a swim. And, um, yeah, they said to each other, how about it? You know, my dad sort of, he was running um, a director of an engineering firm in the UK and I think he couldn't see another, you know, 20, 30 years doing the same same thing. And it was kind of a bit of a now or never, like if we're going to do it, like when's there a good time? Um, so they went back. Uh, sort of met with some uh, people in the UK and it was a point system and they sort of said, you've got about a year before it gets a little harder for you, so now or maybe don't. So they sat us down one Friday in front of the... They turned off the TV, which was uproar, and um, they said to my two brothers and I, what do you guys think about Australia? And we were like, yeah, I mean, we had a great time. And they were like, no, no, long term, like, what do you think about moving there? And so we packed up our house and said bye to our old grandparents who even at the time couldn't fly. So we sort of knew, uh, you know, time seeing them would be limited and um, arrived in Sydney, hired a car, rented a house. And I remember driving around with mum and we sort of stop at real estates and look in the windows and be like, who lives in this suburb? Is this the type of place for kids? Is this, you know, double income, no kids? And we drove around and um, they eventually settled on the Northern Beaches. What was that like for a 13-year-old? Because 13 is pretty formative years, who your friends are and part of that is, is a really important part of that kind of preteen, early mm. teenage life to then be on the other side of the world 
What was that like for you? Yeah, I remember it being a huge adventure and then it came crashing down in reality when, you know, sort of, I don't know, a couple of months into moving to Australia, we started in a new school, you know, people didn't get us, they sounded different, they wore knee-length skirts and we were like, this is so formal, you know, this is not what I signed up for. And missing friends back home and and the grass is always greener kind of, you know, um, thinking. So... It was an adventure that quickly became, um, you know, emotional and then I think picking ourselves back up. And and by that point then we started to become more engaged in school and activities and um, whatnot. Our parents banned us from going back for a couple of years, not that we really could at 13, 14, but just to make sure that we settled and that, that we actually gave it a good shot. Um, and then now, I mean, I sound pretty Australian and feel very Australian and we actually ended up seeing a lot more of my grandparents. Um, we installed the internet into their house and managed to get them iPads and seeing them and speaking to them way more than we would um, in person visiting once, twice a year. So, and you know, my granddad, he was, he, this is the best thing you've ever done and being able to see you guys live the life and, and you know, amazing for them as older older people to give us the, you know, the go, the, the please go and live your lives um, kind of approach to life, which, and my mum is incredibly adventurous and optimistic and I think them setting the scene that this was, you know, a lifestyle choice and, um, and they've kept the word, my dad lives work at five o'clock every day and, you know, they go and walk the dog on the beach and, you know, it's kind of, it's a it's a real shift for our whole family, which has been really positive. It's fascinating to me, yeah, just around that adventure and and obviously there's some of that that trait and sense of adventure that, that your parents had that obviously is part and parcel for you and your brothers as mm. well. Where are some of those seeds, I guess, showing up for yourself in this adventure of business and, and work and where you're at now? I think the biggest thing when I reflect is I've always, you know, I've always been in communication. I always have valued friendships and, and networks. But I think when you move to a place where you know nobody, um, it's so much more evident the effort that you have to put in in a two-way relationship um, and not for any reason to be sold to or to to be, you know, for there to be a reason other than just they're a great person and I want to be their, their friend. Um, and so I've built and I have a phenomenal group of friends and, and network and community um, here. That, and it spans multiple states. I mean, I've got a really great group of friends in Melbourne and in Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Um, and I think, I think if anything, it reinforces that, you know, I don't have the legacy of, of you know, school f- friends from when I was um, super young here um, and even um, I moved away for university. Being able to start over and that be um, an exciting and opportunistic approach, I guess there's a lot of sort of lessons in business that, and, and probably um, uh, elements to it that I haven't necessarily realised have impacted how I've sort of, you know, man- gotten up, managed to keep going even in the face of things uh, falling apart or, you know, the, just the general business journey. Um, so I think the power of networks and, and relationships and not and not nobody likes that person that calls you when they need something. You know, it's being a genuine friend. <laughs> That's the only time they call you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the worst. Yeah. Um, being a genuine friend and, and appreciating those networks. But I think also just optimism and, you know, tomorrow's a new day and um, chance to keep going or start over or renew. Yeah, and that all of that's within your control and it's within your judgment whether it is to reach out and invest in or just be there for other people mm. oh, and also that sense of optimism again it's regardless of what else is going on mm. it's something we can choose choose to do mm. in this experience of business and you and you described before so beautifully about going from two to four to six to 18 to now even double that uh, what has surprised you on that journey um you know, people always said to me, like, people are replaceable. And then we had our first, 
a few key staff members and I was like, I can't imagine now running this business without you. We're so dependent. And I think you do it a few times over and people leave and, you know, we, we employ a lot of millennials that are, naturally they've got kind of different um, paths in life or approach to flexibility or approach to travel and living that the only constant is that change and people needing to do their own thing. Um, so I think what surprised me is how resilient um, teams and people are. And when you think it's at the end of the road with a staff member, actually, maybe it's a good chance to review the description and the role itself. And can we hire this in a different way? Um, I was not very, I was not great when people resigned at the start um, of the business. I took it really <laughs> personally and I, you know, how I let them down and what have we done as a business? And the reality is that's just life and people have got to do their own thing. Um, and that's an amazing lesson because it, it, it does wear on you, right? Like emotionally mm. <laughs> for days, you kind of carry that around. And so that's a big thing to mm. shift and change. What what helped you make that shift? Oh, gosh. I mean, probably a really bad experience, which is probably still my worst career moment or leader moment to date, which somebody resigned and, and they've become a really good friend and they were my 2IC at the time. And um, when they resigned, um, I, I didn't know what to say, so I just kind of didn't say anything. And they were obviously looking for support and excitement for their next step in life. Um, and I... Yeah, I was stunned, you know, shocked. And then I also just, I felt like, what could I have done differently? How have I let this person down? Um, and Tris, my business partner, he pulled me up in the garage that evening and said, you've got to get yourself together. That was terribly handled. And um, so I went back in the next morning and, you know, we had a really long conversation and gone on to become one of my closest friends. Um, but I think without stopping and recognising these this is going to happen again. People are going to resign and people are going to need to live their lives um, and move on and look for other opportunities. I need to get better at handling that and check myself. Um, but I've learned a lot too. Like life a lot of the time is what you choose to make it and what you value. Um, and we've we've made decisions to, you know, not take on work or clients or let clients go when they're not the right fit for us because it's more than getting out of bed and, and making a quick buck for us. We want, we're want we proud of the business that we run and the brands that we work with and invest ourselves into them that, um, you know, we've always played a long goal financially, long, a long play financially and we've always kept, um, you know, money for rainy days or things not going to plan or um, changes in the business and it's just afforded us more options to make, to make decisions and not feel like we have to make decisions because uh, we're strapped financially. Um, and so I think what surprised me too is is what you're able to achieve when you put your mind to it. And and for us, we were fortunate that we started the business when we were young, and we didn't uh, we didn't need a lot personally and financially. So we could reinvest and we could grow, focus on growing the business. So that now, as we start to get a bit older, we've got more decisions, more options for those decisions, um, and we don't have to take on a piece of work, a client, or a person out of a bad place, you know, we can sort of make those decisions in a, from a better place. So um, there's been lots of, gosh, there's been lots of learnings and, and things we've decided over the years, but I think playing the longer game for us has definitely um, been the better play. I love that sense of it's almost investing in the freedom of the future, mm. whether it comes to choices or decisions that you want to make, never knowing what's around the corner, but and some of that is financial, some of that's relational, some of that's just your own kind of mindset, but mm. that sense of investing in what that potential freedom is. Otherwise, it can it can suck it out of your businesses if unless you mm. are really purposeful 
mm. around that? I think there are businesses for different reasons. There are businesses that, you know, grow to sell and they're rapid growth and there are businesses that are grow for a lifestyle business to keep on and I think there's lots of different reasons and if you can be clear with that, I remember people used to push me on at the in the early days, like, what is the game? I think it just informs the way you make those decisions and if it is to get in and out as fast as possible, make, make, um, make the most amount of money, then your decisions are probably going to be quite different to a long nurture, high touch relationship business that, uh, you know, might have for a while. So for us, it was just, it was getting clear and being on the same page and I'm fortunate enough that my business partner and I are incredibly on the same page, but different skill sets to get there and, and respect each other. And, you know, talking about your own leadership journey, because it is not only running a business, but then leading others, having a vision. It's a whole nother skill set to to be able to lead influence. And uh, one of the things I know about you is that you are fascinated in the way in general that we communicate, share and influence with others, which kind of almost underpins what the business does in brand awareness, brand strategy, content uh, getting information out there. But the connection, I guess, of that to your own leadership experience is what I'm really interested in. We, we touched a little bit on the ways to communicate as a leader, but that one around how do we share as a leader is one that I'm, I'm deeply fascinated in because I think it changes. It changes depending on who you're sharing with and it changes on where a business might be at at any point in time. It might be you're sharing everything really young and early on in the business and then as you grow, there just needs to be a bit more strategy or concepting or even just protection of your own energy and time. What have you navigated through that, uh, what you do share, what you don't share, uh, and even maybe what boundaries you've created, if any, um, in your role as a leader? Mm, it's a good question and it's definitely evolved with us when we were five people um, to now about 30, the difference in what um, what we can share and what... I think one thing I've learned is that you can communicate something, but it can be perceived quite differently. And so as simple as, you know, we've had meetings before where Tris and I have been chatting, you know, and close the door to have a chat about something, you know, left of centre and someone else has thought, oh, they're chatting and it's my performance review tomorrow and it must mean, and they're not smiling, so it must mean my job's gone and, you know, it's so disconnected. <laughs> Becomes something bigger than everyone totally, was. Yeah. Totally. And, and that happens um, quite a lot, probably more than we realise um, in the, the way that we communicate and then how something might be perceived. So I think I've learnt a lot about clarity and repetition um, of communication with our people. Um, I think what we choose to sort of say and how we say it, um, we, we are more aware of it these days in terms of um, we've got a really great management team and, and share more sort of visibly with them um, than the whole organisation and sort of um, not on a need to know, but sort of how much, how relevant is it to somebody's role and to the, the stage of their career or life that they're at in a work context. Um, I'm a pretty open book and we'll share, you know, share to some degree most things. Um, and I think as young leaders, we've had to be quite um, open book, iterative, let's catch up, um, sort of quite direct and to the point and would much rather bite something, um, bite it in the bullet than, than let something fester or, or have big formal meetings. We're much more iterative and catch up and coffees and check-ins. In fact, a lot of my time, I feel like it's checking in and <laughs> making sure people are on track and they're, you know, they're, they're sort of doing, that they're happy and that they're doing work that's fulfilling and that's building the business. Um, um, and then you do the, like, you know, it can feel like 
that's not the real work and yet it actually really is the real work yeah. uh, throughout the day. Yeah, we've just integrated two teams recently and um, and just making sure I think you can plan on paper how something might integrate and do all of the inner workings but um, until you're actually having conversations and um, imparting and bringing people together and connecting, it's the human stuff that makes people feel like they belong and that they're part of the same vision. Yeah, and what you've just tapped on because from what I understand you've just acquired another business, which is huge and, and no doubt lessons along the way. One of the things that can do for a team is to start to impact on culture. What are the ways that I guess you're navigating that with, with the, yeah, with the exciting and challenging uh, process of, of, of folding that acquisition company into cello? So we're week four. Um, so it's been a big, a big learning curve today. I think there's still probably more, um, more to see and more to do in terms of the longer, um, longer integration plan. But um, we acquired a business that we had been u- using for the last sort of six to 12 months and know them really well. Um, the founders are great friends of ours. And um, I think the, the, on the whole, the acquisition has been such an enjoyable um, win-win-win experience for everyone involved. Um, all of the people that have come over, they um, are really similar to our people. They above and beyond just nice people, you know, like people that you actually want to have a coffee with or a beer with and um, and are really great at what they do. We feel like we've really lucked out. Um I think there's definitely a piece in our, our existing, so Cello 1.0 before we acquired this other business, I think there was there's, there has been a big, big focus on um, for them and for our clients that have been with us for a long time to not feel secondary to this new, exciting, shiny, you know, bringing a baby home from a hospital kind of, look how beautiful it is. It's like, yeah, but we've been with you the whole time. Um, <laughs> and so there's been a lot of work from our end to make sure that people feel welcomed, but they also feel like the older guys, that they feel like they're still a huge part of where we're heading. We did a big integration day and um, ongoing, uh, we have big breakfast clubs across the whole um, company. Um, And I think the biggest thing I've realised is our cultures are really similar. Our values are quite similar to this other business and the way that they've been, they've had leadership and that they've worked in the past is really similar. So they've kind of, they've come in and it's all really refreshing for us and for them. There's no surprises. There's no um, jarring kind of um, expectations that are different. And I think if I, if I did it again, um, bought a company or were acquired, I think the culture piece um, is such a huge component of it going well or not. Um, And then second to communication and clarity around roles and expectations. And for people, it means they've got new bosses or they've got new direct reports, which is a huge change for, you know, how it's been perhaps in the past. Um, So overall, it's been an amazing experience, but culture, I think, plays such a huge part in, and it's hard to even identify what is culture. You know, I guess it's everything that happens without us putting it in a rule book. It's the way that things are. Um, Which is why it's intangible, right? Mm -hmm. And and yet it's one of the most powerful factors when it comes to team and, and all of the other stuff working, the new the new systems mm. and new processes and new reporting lines, it can be make or break depending on that cultural uh, alignment. Mm. And it might be the small things as much as it is the big. And I think the big we would weed out very quickly, but often it's the small that, um, you know, it's repetition and guiding around how we do things in our way and the cello way so that we can um, scale what we've started and we don't kind of lose ourselves in the in the scaling process. I want to come back to you, uh personally in amongst all of that that change and the exciting things that that are happening in amongst the business how do you manage your own energy yeah it's a good one there are days when you I feel pulled in so many directions um 
I think for me, it really helps that my business partner and I, Tris, are on the same page. Um, he's been such an amazing support. I'm sort of more, I guess, front face of the business in terms of um, you know, MD role and everything that encompasses. And he's our creative director. He's uh, working with the team much more on the delivery of the ideas that we that we pitch. Um, but having being on the same page with him for the easy but also the hard conversations, um, we have various off-site strategy days. But I think it's the end of the day being able to call as mates and have a chat through. Um, I also have such a phenomenal network of friends that that love that I'm ambitious and that I have lots of things going on. But we don't we don't need to talk about it all the time. You know, there's more to me and there's more to them and to our friendship than than just business, which I think is a real leveler. I think I did get lost for a while there um, for a few years in the business where it was my sole focus. And I would talk to people who weren't in business and I'd feel like, oh, what do we have to talk about? Like, I, I would, I, I really, really became this single focus, which for a time in my life, I think was important. And it was, it was, um, it, you know, it was, kind of do or die with, you know, starting and growing the business. But I think now it's a bit more stabilised. We have an awesome team and managers and things in place where it's not as, you know, it's not as day-to-day, we're going to go under, we're going to survive as it was when we first started. Um, But me as an individual, I think um, growing that business is a part of my life, but it is not not in its entirety fulfilling. Um, But, yeah, I mean, end of last year, I I sort of have my first ever... um, uh, sort of uh, mental health kind of um, issue. I don't know how we uh, reality check maybe um, when it all did seem like it got too much, and it was the first time that I'm pretty optimistic, pragmatic kind of. I think the British just get on with it thing comes through for me. Um, but yeah, the real, real. I felt such a deep anxiety around various moving parts of the business and it all got quite a lot. And um, I think perhaps it was a good reminder to take your health for granted in whatever regard, physical or mental, and until you have a run-in and you realise that actually the business is important but not that important. Um, So, yeah, for me, I think it's been um, a great community of people um, and also leaning into it and what is it that's making me feel a certain way and how, how can I A, be okay with it and then B, how can I make a plan? And that that can be quite a courageous place to get into because it can be this concept of, yeah, like I'm, I, I'm, I'm okay and, and you know, uh, there's an awareness and understanding around mental health and how it does go up and down anyway, just in business in terms of some days everything's going to be amazing and other moments, you know, even two minutes later you can go, oh, okay, but now I've got to deal with that. But um, sometimes those little wake-up calls can be that time to go, okay, actually this is real and and how do we look at it? Is there any, I guess, kind of non-negotiables or things that have come out of you, for you from from that at the end of last year of things that you go, okay, health is something I need to look at or pay attention to or really be mindful of. Mm, I think on the whole, it's been kinder to myself. So perhaps, um, and I do a bunch of physical, you know, exercise and I um, try and meditate and I have awesome people to talk to. But I think the the, the part for me that's really helped is working on my inner monologue and, um, and being kinder. And some days you wake up and you just don't feel great and you just don't, things are harder and it's, it's um you know, or darker or they f- they're more difficult. Um, and on those days, how can I be kind to myself and you know, treat myself like I would tell a friend to treat themselves if they were going through it? Um, and so, and and I guess in a, in a way I could pinpoint mine to a specific issue, my, my sort of anxiety around a specific issue that um, I could sort of lean into and, and acknowledge. Um, 
But I think the kindness piece and quite often one of my goals for this year is every fortnight to go down to a cafe near me with um, the paper and sit and read with no phone and um, because I think it's important to disconnect as much as I absolutely love what I do and I love people and everything that we do. Um, it has its limits and I am only human and being there for 30 other people in the business plus, you know, everyone else that needs something from you, I think for me having the time out um, to rest and to be nothing to nobody and to sit and read the paper um, in its simplest form has become uh, like a ritual for, for me now. I remember sitting down and talking with the beautiful Katie Noonan. She had this amazing line of, you know, about wanting to chase the glorious freedom of boredom. Is where can I go where nobody wants me and there's nothing to do? And it's like that, that's almost the thing we crave and, and just for little moments. And that can be enough to kind of uplift and inject. That sense of kindness is a part of who you are. You also, I know, have a real heart to giving to organisations and charities and, and even through your business do a lot of work with organisations and charities. How important is it for workplaces to have that outlet for people to be able to be global citizens? Mm, I think for us, I mean, we have a lot of people under sort of under 35 that want to work somewhere where it's more than just the work itself, that it's the why and it's the purpose. Um, and I guess as leaders, you know, Tris and I want that inherently in our business, not in a tokenistic way where we have, and, and it looks different for everyone, but for us, it's not, we do a charity day a year, although that's awesome. For us, it's how can we build it into our business model and how can we utilise our what we have in our hands, which is, you know, brand new design, content, communications that we do really well to benefit these organisations so that other people that are really great at building a well or, you know, doing the work on the ground so that they can do more of what they're good at. Um, and so we work with tons. We don't even treat it. We treat them exactly the same as any other fee-paying client. Um, the work that we take on, we, you know, we make sure we deliver it. Um, and it ranges. We've done a bunch of stuff in mental health through to um, to Cancer Council, to work overseas, to work in Australia. Um, and I think it's, I think it's because we, I was saying before, Tris and I don't run the business just for the dollar. You know, for us, it's much more about creating meaning and, um, you know, our tagline at work is creating uh, meaningful content. How can we bring the meaning and why are we even here? Why are we having this conversation and what, what are we trying to achieve back to, uh, you know, in the same way to the nonprofits that we work with? So it's a, it's a more inherent, it's just who we are. It's kind of, it's just our heart for what we do, um, more so than it being an explicit, um, uh, you know, activation or something that we do here and there. Beautiful. And it, look, it might tie into my last question to you, which I want to come full circle. So the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what comes up for you? What does it mean to live a standout life? For me, I've always said I was single for a long time and I dated people and um, it just never quite worked. And um, I met my current um, boyfriend now and, and we both really connected on living this idea of living a big life. And I think most people would say about themselves, oh, I, yeah, I want to live a big life. And it looks very different from person to person. Um, but for me, I, I never want to live with any regret or leave, leave any stone unturned. Um, you know, I travel a ton. I've had some amazing experiences, but life is what you make it. And so for me, living a standout life is to um, push yourself and to, and to go to sleep. For me, to go to sleep every night um, with a well-rested mind. So I've given today my everything. Beautiful. Lindsay, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au.
If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.